0: Hello and welcome to the IBM Developer Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk to Aaron Bauman from the ESPN Fantasy Football with Watson application. So, Aaron is a computer scientist, IBM Distinguished Engineer, inventor with over 150 patents, a book author, as well as a scuba diver. So, Luke, you had the chance to sit down with Aaron for a discussion recently. I found it fascinating. I hadn't really looked at American football. So we we dug into a bunch of things, but
1: obviously the one that's sort of front and present is the ESPN fantasy football using Watson and what I love is that it's looking at numbers and statistics that come from the actual game but then it's also analyzing billions of Twitter posts and news feeds it's it's really a pretty sophisticated tool that is just being given away to us for free and that's what's fun too so it's it's great to analyze this from a software development and from an architecture standpoint and you know it's really inspirational to think about the next generation apps that we can build using these tools But then if you're just looking to win your fantasy football league, oh, wow, this is a tool that you can use that actually will give you a competitive advantage over someone who's not using this tool.
0: All right. Thank you, Luke. Uh, Without further ado, let's jump straight in.
2: Hello, Aaron. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Barron, or I'm also known as Aaron Botman. I work for IBM's Interactive Experience as a distinguished engineer. Uh, I've been at IBM for quite some time, 16 years, but I've had many different jobs in the area of AI, data science, and cloud. Excellent. And what have you been working on lately? I've been lucky enough to work on the Tonys, the Grammys, US Open, the Masters, in particular, my focus is on East Paint Fantasy Football. So I've been doing a lot in that area, and it's been a blast. So in my spare time, you know, I like to scuba dive uh, whenever I can do that. It's just tough to get away. So that's uh, who I am, I think, in a nutshell.
1: Aaron, I know you've been working on something really exciting for the last uh, year or two. Uh, what is this interesting sports project you've been working on?
2: Well... I'm a big and avid fan of sports, right? And I like to watch sports, you know, for entertainment. I like to attend events. And I've noticed that it brings about this social cohesion where anyone of any background, they can get together at a sporting game, an event, right? And during my day job, what I do is I like to build a lot of touch points to bring people together, not just during the event, but also outside of the event. So it becomes a 365-day event and, and cycle instead of this couple of hours or so. And I really enjoy doing that. And my mechanism, a means for for this, is through ESPN fantasy football with uh, Watson, where we build out this artificial intelligence app that can give you different evidence pieces that supports or refutes who you should start on any given day. Fascinating.
1: And so, I agree. Sports and food are the the two things that you know bring everyone. Uh, you're together. You're making me hungry. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so. Let's dig a little deeper into this.
1: What's under the hood? How, how does this work? What, what's going on with the
2: application? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different gears that, that turn and let's, let's fundamentally look at, you know, the couple of questions that we have to ask whenever we build a system like this. So the first one is, can Watson even understand fantasy football? Right. And so we had to teach Watson how to read. And by doing that, we created all these different statistical entity recognizers about fantasy football. And that was a challenge because we had to go in the past and get information from the internet, which would be probably from web hose or it could be from a Wayback Machine, and then associate that with different types of stats. And that's a ground truth. You know, so if you or I were, were going to go take a Spanish test, but yet we were we just read books on French, we'd fail pretty miserably at that test. Watson is the same, right? We wanted to teach it about fancy football and how to read that content. Otherwise it wouldn't quite grasp all the semantics and the meaning behind all those words. And then the next question is, can Watson comprehend all the information that it was taught how to read? And in order to comprehend, we would use these deep learning type pipelines. And we use TensorFlow, Keras, and Theano to help us build it out within Python and deploy it up on the IBM cloud. And what was unique about this solution is we would use unstructured information from over 50,000 different sources across the, the internet, right? So, so when I say source, I mean things like espn.com, right? That's a source. ABM.com is also another source. You know, bleacher report is a source, right? So we would do that every single day, um, every hour, every minute, right? And crawl those sources and gather evidence. And then, the, and then the next, the third final question that we would ask, can Watson create and find evidence to help our users? So next, in the pipeline, we created a simulator that would in turn figure out the spread distributions of different players. So we would know, you know, what is the the probability and odds that a player would score a certain point spread during their football game. And then we would use that information to simply show shapes up on our mobile app or within a web browser experience. And, you know, it was very fascinating to watch users actually use it and, guide their decisions day every day, week over week, you know, so it was a great thing. That's really interesting. And I can already
1: see how, because sports is so fun to consume, this is a great way to understand both from a development side, how to achieve, you know, other solutions that you may need in your your business. Right away, one of the first things that could come to mind is I see how this could be applicable in, say, financial markets, right? Where you'd be able to, hey, if I'm a, a stockbroker or a hedge fund manager or something, I, I can't read Fifty thousand sources a day, yeah, but I could yeah. create a tool that helps bring me the information I need, and and this is what we're seeing here, but in a a,
2: a really fun and consumable way. Yeah, yeah. In fact, there's a financial company that came to us, and they wanted to know: Is this stock going to boom? Is this stock going to bust? You know, that's parallel to: Is this player going to boom? Is this player going to bust? So we could directly use those models over the financial aspects and markets to figure out where should we invest our money? What's the best hedge against a certain you know particular fund of, of which we have, you know, decided to invest in. So all those different curves too, that would tell us the projection points for a player. It could also tell us the projection uh, price of a stock over time and then help us to compare all the different stocks. And then also we could ask the question, why, you know, why is a stock going to perform a certain way? And so we would go through that data onion, peel away all those different elements and figure out, okay, so this stock is going to bust because of, you know, et cetera and so on. And I think that also in the healthcare, you know, you could look at patient experience and different diagnosis and prognosis. You could use the same types of modeling behaviors that we use within fantasy football.
1: That's so interesting. And what really strikes me about this is one would think that, oh, wow, these are tools that only those top hedge funds could have or only some big insurance company. But what we're seeing now is it's really a a democratization of these tools where any size firm could actually start to get into this through what we're demonstrating with the fantasy
2: football. Yeah. Yeah. And then to echo that point, I want to mention the size of our team that built this. So in year one, we only had a very small team. We had about six people total that built this, this application in partnership with ESPN. And then going forward, you know, we would scale up a bit to help us with ops, to help us with maintenance and to help us, you know, make sure that we had continuous available services. Right. But the power of the cloud is quite drastic, right? So, so if you think of, of uh, on a curve, right, that the effort required to get gain, um, that effort becomes smaller and smaller as long as you start using technology such as Docker and containerizations, Kubernetes. But that whole stack on the cloud really gives the power to the developer. Then there's also the open source machine learning libraries that are available that can run anywhere on the cloud. Sometimes, you know, you do have to look at architectures, You know, make sure that uh, perhaps you have a GPU-enabled device that can run. But we did go through the painstaking process of training only on GPU-enabled devices, so that we could run these anywhere. And in the future, just to, f- to foreshadow where we're going, we're going to move some of our models and our combinatorial problems uh, that we can't just precompute, you know, up on the cloud, uh, but move it over on, on the edge. And so then that makes it, you know, available to anyone and everyone on their device, you know, even if they don't even have access to a cloud. But uh, we do use over. I'd estimate around 25 different IBM cloud services um, to to handle our app. And, and you also have to think in terms of scale, right? Because I mentioned we have millions of users a day, which is a lot. you know. And in order to facilitate that, we have to use different content distribution networks so we can cache all the information, well, as much as possible. You mentioned uh, the users. How, how many users are there? Um, yes, yeah, so we get 10 million users a day. You know, serve up 10 billion AI insights a day as well. And um, I think over a day, we're also looking at about 250 terabytes of uh, information, right? So so it's a lot that's streaming all around the world. What we do is we try to pre-compute as much as possible, and we push it up into what's called the cloud object storage, uh, which is you know hosted by IBM Cloud. And then we use the IBM Cloud CDN as a caching layer. But we double up, too, with ESPN, and we use ESPN's CDN, which they have a partnership with Akamai. And then what happens whenever people access our app on the mobile phone, or it could be over on the desktop, they actually hit an edge server uh, that's closest to where they are. And then the edge server goes back. And if, and if the content has expired, or been updated, then it hits our servers, you know, so we're very well protected, right in that in that aspect, and we have to be. Uh, because, you know, since we have so many users, we need to make sure we're up for everybody at any time. This is really fun as a developer to think about this is a hybrid multi cloud solution
1: in that it's, it's crossing different companies, different domains. And then we have those experts. And then together
2: it's that chocolate peanut
1: butter moment. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and in order to sort of create that, that the flavor of which we need, you know, for ESPN fantasy football, we brought, well, this all actually originated in an IBM garage uh, in Austin. So we went together there with ESPN and we were trying to figure out, you know, can we harvest a project together that's going to help, you know, uh, the ESPN experience and then also so that we can push the, the envelope of AI within sports, you know, on the IBM side. And it turned out that, yes, we could. You know, part of that was bringing together, you know, the people, uh, the IBM cloud, but also the the expertise, you know, so so making sure that, that we had a way to build these types of models because the, you know, the, the long straw in the tent is, of course, gathering the information to train the assistant because this was new and there's just gigabytes worth of just natural language that we had to pull uh, so that we could associate articles with. Did a player actually boom or bust? What was their score? Were they injured? Um, did they play meaningful minutes or not? And so all, all those states were important to associate that with the natural language uh, that, that we needed to uh, harvest.
1: Could you mention or explain a little bit about uh, the IBM garage and the IBM garage method to our listeners if they're not familiar? Because I think that's, I wasn't, I, I had no idea that was true, but that's even better of an answer than I could have hoped for because that yeah. goes all the way from idea through a design thinking process to actually creating prototypes and now to full production running multiple years. So this is actually a, a really interesting um, story to dissect from a developer standpoint about how do you go from an idea to something running at scale and, and we can look at it. So tell us about the ibm uh, garage uh, method.
2: Yeah, so you know, uh, with the client we went into a space, a very open space, um with a garage team. And what we did is we just sort of iterated and we uh, refined and we came up with different ideas. You know, it was much like following the design thinking where where you you would have have a few ideas, you know, that were sort of low-hanging fruit, a bunch in the middle, you know, that were achievable, and then a few at the edge that just seemed to be outrageous. And uh, we in turn then would match the technology capabilities that we thought were available as well as where R&D was, was headed. And could we pick off a couple of the top hanging fruits? Um, you know, uh, tackle the majority of the, the, the ones in the middle and maybe not do, you know, those the you know, low hanging fruit because we we wanted to build something novel. Um, and it turned out after, um, sort of this, the sessions where we did build mind maps of both ESPN as well as, you know, us, you know, the the IBM side to figure out where we each wanted to go and meet, you know, sort of uh, a Venn diagram, and where we overlapped was a sweet spot. And it, and it turned out, as I mentioned, is that we had a patent application um, around this entire architecture of the system, because it was novel, um, it was implementable, and, you know, and we went forward with the project. Because if you think about it, there's many lay people who play fancy football, right? Whether they're data scientists, whether they're sports aficionados, it doesn't matter, but they try to crunch numbers and build their own models to predict what's going to happen. So why are we any different, you know? And so we invented something that showed that we were different and joint with uh, ESPN. And and then the the next thing was, can we actually build this and deliver it as a consumable experience um, at scale? It is really interesting for a lay person who
1: probably is hearing things in the news about AI and machine learning. And, you know, they have a, a business, but they're not really tech. This is actually a great way to to bridge and help them understand what's running under the hood in something like fantasy football and how they may be able to apply
2: it in their own business and and their own life. Yeah, we talked a bit about the financial area. If you want to re- retire sooner rather than later, let's use some of our, you know, models that we built here. Um, and I think that'll get you on the fast track towards a retirement, you know, because it can certainly optimize our por- portfolio. Um, but also whenever you think in terms of, you know, the, this system, you know, everybody has their own biases. You know, um, you know, it could be when you try to pick a player or pick a stock or pick a doctor, you know, you're biased in a certain way. You know, you might pick a doctor who went to a certain school, has a certain education, right? I might pick a fantasy football player because they're from a certain team. You know, you could pick a stock because they're, and it's from a certain sector, right? Or, or maybe you were burned from a different sector and you don't want to pick a stock. Right, So those personal biases can influence um, what you would potentially do um, in everyday life. Right, there, there are other biases too in machine learning where if you have data, so, so for example, whenever we went to, to the internet and we gather data uh, to train our models, well, I ran a study and I wanted to know why were Patriot players underperforming with respect to our boom model? So in other words, most of the Patriot players were not projected to boom, which didn't make any sense. Because they're a great team, you know. Um, if you like or hate the Patriots, sorry, but they're a good team, right? I mean, you have to give it to them. Um, I mean, even without Gronkowski, it doesn't matter. But going back to it, I found that a lot of the data that we use to train the models came from Patriot haters. And so it was biased against the Patriots. And so then I started digging in more. Are there other teams in that same situation? And so what it turned out is that these were restriction variables, meaning that if there is a variable that gives unequal equity, you know, towards a certain means to an end, which could be booming or busting, um, then in turn, we need to refactor that out and take out that bias. And so we use what's called IBM OpenScale, as well as the AI Fairness 360 Toolkit to help us re- remove some bias. So first, the first step is you have to identify the bias. The second step is you have to mitigate the bias, you know, and... Um, this was very important for us as we, uh, you know, uh, did this and in real life, uh, beyond just fantasy football, right? Being able to mitigate our own biases in the real world, I think, is very important too. And AI can help f- facilitate that. Interesting. And could you give me and our listeners
1: an example of how, say, bias would show up in, say, healthcare or fintech in the same type of way?
2: In the fintech um, area, right, you know, many times people or a subgroup of people don't want to invest in technology, right? They could be against technology. They could be even scared of technology. And so, therefore, their stock portfolio would be skewed towards maybe healthcare, right, which still still could be a good play. However, with the way in which tech has been moving, right, they missed out on a lot of gains, you know, and and particular capital gains, you know, throughout their portfolio, um, and then they could also miss out on dividends, on, on dividend-heavy companies, which tend to be a lot of tech companies, right? And so because of that bias against technology, either you're scared of technology or somebody doesn't understand, you know, all the intricacies of AI, so therefore they steer away from it. Um, or they just don't want to have anything to, to do with it. You know, they want to stay with a, a hardcore book instead of like a Kindle or whatever it is, right? So, so there's many bias reasons as far as why you would select to invest in certain areas and then miss out or perhaps um in the past you know uh, maybe the dot com bust you know this is going pretty far back or let, let's go you know to the um uh, financial meltdown many people after that did not want to invest in real estate or they did not want to invest um in financial stocks right and um sort of that those, those folks who were in that generation you know, they were biased against that situation because, again, they learned over time, you know, sort of like P- Pavlonian training here. They, you know, they they were shocked, you know, by the downfall of the financial markets. And so, therefore, today, they steer clear, you know, of that. And so, we want to make sure that those local optimas, you know, that, that someone had um, – Don't become local, but we can get them out of that and become, have these global optimals over time because they do change and shift. And some of that is called model drift, but, but this, this, this could be called cause we, we, we want to make sure that somebody does not have this conceptual drift, if you will. Um, and, and, and only think about a certain area which to uh, invest in and to get them out of that. Um, and to make sure that by de-biasing, you know, someone's de- de- decisions, they're not drifting away from what they should potentially be doing if they want to retire early. I'm going to put links to all of
1: all these things that you've mentioned in the show notes. Um, particularly I, and I had heard of this actually mentioned. I, I talked with uh, Bradley Holt about uh, the 360 uh, fairness toolkit uh, at Ozcon. I'm going to check it out because as you're saying, we're not aware of our biases, and if we're collecting data, we're not even going to be aware that bias is in the data unless we start to implement these checks.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's critical and and very important. If you think back to the two thousand and one Space Odyssey movie with Hal, right, where hey, do you do you trust this submachine? You know, because Hal should, certainly wasn't trustworthy at, at the end, but it seemed like he was, you know, throughout the movie, right? And so, trust and transparency is key. But in order to uh, get to, to that trust and transparency, how do you know a system's not is not biased you know and and it's like this fractal loop well, uh, you know, a human built the system The human's biased so the system has to be biased it just goes on and on and on in, in these in these uh, you know holes. but the idea is to minimize this this said group bias and individual bias as best we can, right and to make our systems better. and as we as humans interact in our daily environment, we learn, we become hopefully better. Um, you know, as we gain critical knowledge and experience, um, we hope that our AI systems also learn and become better and more trustworthy and, and also prove they're trustworthy to us um, as we use these uh, systems more and more. That's interesting. And what comes to mind is security and that I think everyone
1: now is pretty aware of how you need to be vigilant and it's ongoing and it's it's changing over time and it's something that you just have to be you know, it has to be on your radar.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just, just thinking back whenever I worked on the jeopardy project, you know, back in 2011, uh, where we beat, you know, the top two jeopardy contestants, uh, at the time, right. Um, it was Ken Jennings and, uh, Brad Rudder. Um, I, I recall that shortly after that, you know, people had trouble accepting that we had actually won, you know, that they said, Hey, you know, there's gotta be someone behind the machine who's feeding the right answers to Watson. Um, you know, sure. It could, it, could have been the, the fair share of uh, you know Luddites, or it could be those people who just didn't trust the the system at the time. And in 2011, bias was I think in the infancy within the field of computer science. It was more of a research area, right? And if you even go back further, you know to to the uh, chess match, right, with Gary Gasparov, you know I believe that was back in 1998. The same thing happened there, right? Whenever we beat Gary, people said no. That can't happen. You know, there's got to be someone who's making all those chess moves, right? And and yet again, there wasn't, right? Uh, but going into the fantasy football realm, right, we're at the point where we say, wait a second, why are these algorithms telling us that this player is going to boom or bust, right? Why should I trust it? You know, and now because we've had all these trust concerns, you know, around AI, we have these toolkits, you know, open scale, AI fairness 360. And there's also a third one now uh, where, where we can use a toolkit for transparency um, and security, where we are concerned about not just viruses, tro- Trojan horses, and you know hackers getting into our systems, stealing our passwords, and so forth, but now what if a hacker could inject a trained exemplar into our models and change the behavior of our system, right? And it's and it's it's an effect of you know what what if I went to go take a class on let, let's say kind of calculus, right, but but, you know, for 10 minutes for the class for over a month, I had this other teacher, professor that came in and was teaching me bad things. Let's say how to make a cake. Then I would be biased towards calculus and cake making. And in a sense, right? If calculus wasn't associated with, with cake making, uh, whenever I went out into the real world, it wouldn't make much sense to me. And that's what people could potentially try to do is confuse our models to say that, Hey, this bus model needs to be associated with this other field. And if it's not, then it doesn't make sense. And we're just going to spit out garbage or noise. Right. Um, and, and if you think about autonomous cars, what if someone could attack that model, right. As they're going through um, and make the car drive certain behaviors. Right. Uh, but the, but these types of toolkits are very important. Um, and going back to, to a fancy football, you can always ask the, the, the question, why, you know, to get, to get a better explanation as far as how is it working and, and to work with the users to guide them into the thinking process of our pipeline. And that, and that, you know, inherently builds trust and it's ticked up, you know, um, as far as the dwell rate in our app, as well as the, um, acceptance rate of our app. So, so it's, it's very exciting to see that. Is this this term I'm hearing a lot explainable AI, right? It is. Yeah. 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 Because, because, you know, lots of these are very black box you know oriented even the white box models you know if they're if it's a decision tree for example that's one of the most human readable aspects as far as you know uh, outputs from a model but when you see it you know you're, you're still asking so so why did, how did it come up with that rule you know why should i trust it even though i can understand it you know um and so um you, you know we use that for slam tracker in tennis where it tells us what a player has to do in in order to increase the odds of winning a match Right. Uh, but, but, but again, we, we want to know why. And so we can start digging into that. In fantasy football, we use a, we use a whole host of different models. You know, we use support vector machines. We use, uh, multi-layer perceptrons, all different types of ac- activation functions, you know, autoencoders, word to vectors, ensemble models with multiple regressors. Uh, we have a whole host of different types of post processors as, as well. Right. And so, so all those different types of models combined become a black box and so you know we want to be able to answer the questions why and that's where we go into evidence and the evidence is hard right because it's not just numbers but it's also about audio you know what podcast support or or uh, re- refute this like the one we're doing now right but also videos what video you know is a supporting or a re- refuting this and this, this gets into multimedia it's not you know and then text text is is hard enough right just understanding that text and then the fourth aspect is is the stats As well. So we have to unify all of that into a very limited real estate space on a mobile app, which is also challenging. So so you have the the user experience part in it, but the speed and velocity through agile of building this is great. You know, I mean, it's just really unbelievable, I, I would say. Well, that's really neat to
1: hear because I've done a lot of agile training recently. It's nice to see an actual example of like, wow, here's something that went from the ideation stage through the design thinking and then through an agile development process and into a a scalable app that we can talk about and and, uh, dissect a little bit.
2: In this process, it's key to be able to sit with uncertainty, right? Because much like AI reasoning under uncertainty, we as humans have to reason with uncertainty as well. And whenever we go through these types of projects, um, their metrics driven approach, you know, their data science type projects. We don't know the answers up front. We can only have hypotheses. And so we don't know what's going to happen a week from now, two weeks from now, three weeks from now. What's that project plan going to look like? We, we do have anchor points on the schedule that, that are guide posts, if you will, but the way in which we get to, to those guide is uncertain, you know, um, and so we so we'll run experiments, maybe through the Watson Knowledge Studio, because that, that unifies a lot of these, uh, technologies for us. You know, use SPSS, we can use R. Uh, my favorite is Python, you know, uh, Scikit. You know, I like using that or different types of uh, different libraries. But I always tell, you know, my team whenever we're building these type systems, we, we don't have the, the answers A priori or up front, and we're not supposed to, right, which is a different type of thinking to traditional type building of IT systems of the past, right? And also, um, we have so much power on the cloud. Right Where I can deploy a system, configure it through software, whereas it's great, but you also have to be careful because you can take down a system by the push of a button, you can deploy a system with the push of a button, and so we have to make sure that we have clear environments set up for test, dev, and prod, you know so that's also important.
1: So you mentioned earlier when we were chatting that there's tons of users using the app, but let's say you're someone. Who has, Hey, I've got an interest and it's, uh, maybe it's not football. Maybe it's cricket. And they were like, Hey, I want to build my own version of this. And h- how would you approach the, the internet with, Hey, there's all this unstructured data. Where do I start square one as a developer who wants to at least just start to be able to analyze it in a productive way using a tool that I can actually get a hold of?
2: So yeah, yeah. Well, so, so first l- let me tell you my bias. So somebody asked me, can you find all the highlights in cricket? And I was like, Hmm. There aren't any highlights in cricket. What are you talking about? You know? <laughs> sorry, sorry for all you cricket fans, right? Uh, but so so after I de bias myself, right, then then cricket is a great place of which, you know, we can apply a lot of these AI techniques and technologies, right? And to to get started, so so first of all, I would think in terms of AI as being transportable, being able to train with less, right? Where you could take a model um and then use it anywhere, right? That's where we get into general AI. And, and so what we built in fantasy football, what you could do is take some of our models. You could pop off the output layer and use it to learn the, the representation of say cricket. And then you could have your own customized or domain adapted type algorithms on the back end to process the, the transfer learning, as I call it, you know, into that own domain. So if you go and you pull some of the models down, then you could train from less, you know, do use some transfer learning. Um, but also if you want to find out more information, um we've I've written many different blog posts that go over and in detail um a lot of the different aspects right of the system, all the way from continuous availability to managing with the cloud to the AI pipeline to building the user experience to bias to even social sharing. Um and you know, and and uh, how to Dockerize different apps. And I think all of that is is important, you know, to start reading up on. Um, but there's also different patterns that you can find in hoist you know such as how do we deploy at scale you know this this AI this enterprise grade AI system which is what what we do um, you know every day if you go to ibm.com sports slash fantasy um, you can get more information there as well um, and then that's a like our landing splash page where you can go there and it takes you to our videos um, Also you know if you go on YouTube and just google, IBM fancy football, right? There'll be a bunch of like explainer videos that 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 we've done. We've uh we, we even did a, a an explainer video uh in, over in Sports Center, right, uh at in Bristol, Connecticut. A funny story is so I went there for the for the first time. I had never done a commercial like this before, never been, of course, ESPN and on air like that. Uh, but I but I walked up and they're like, hey, that this is where you're gonna be doing, you know, your part. I said, okay, great. So I said, where's the coffee, right, <laughs> the first thing? And they say, well, the coffee cart's over here. So I, I went and get my coffee. I go sit, sit down at a table. And I was actually next to Elizabeth O'Brien, who was, you know, an IBMer. Um, she was, you know, guiding me through what to say um, and how to acc- acclimate myself to the studio. So I turned to her, and all of a sudden I spilt my coffee. On the set, because we're we're sitting on the set and the chairs, very nice chairs. So I was thinking, oh boy, I think I just ruined the ESPN, you know, sports center set. So I ran over and I said, hey, look, you know, I I spilled coffee and and all of a sudden they, you know, she pulls out her walkie talkie goes, emergency nine, 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 one, one. And says a code. I was like, okay, I guess this happens often and and there's this army of people about 10 people that came in and cleaned it up right <laughs> right so that was sort of my initiation right into all the uh, commercial building but but that that to me um helped you know, you know sort of frame and reference my mind uh you know within AI that all all these different models they have different things that happen within the environment that you have to sort of adapt to right and learn so after that experience we did the commercial and and it, and it tur- turned out to be good um, uh, but, I, but I always tell people that, you know, reasoning under uncertainty and learning under those environments is important both for the human and the AI. So it becomes a symbiotic sort of relationship that we have with tech that, that it works. But going back to the original question, right? Where, where, where can we get more information about that? Well, you know, like that commercial I mentioned where I spilt the coffee, well, you can go on YouTube and find that. Right. Uh, but we probably have, I don't know, 20 to 30 different videos now, uh, that, that we've created, uh, with many more that's going to be released uh, every week. Um, and if you follow me on uh, Twitter, which is Bautman Aaron, you can find me that way. You can also f- follow me on LinkedIn. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. We're on uh, Instagram, which is Barron's AI. Uh, find me there. Um, also want to mention too, it's our second season uh, of having a celebrity league where we have invited uh, you know, ESPN personalities, such as Daniel Dopp, Field Yates, Michael Greenberg from Mike and Mike in the Morning, Also, we have former NFL players, such as Urschel. We have Charles Woodson. This year, we have Justin Tuck. We also have, you know, former movie stars too, like uh, Ferreira from The Entourage. We have an NBA player, Baron Davis. But the whole point is that we have these folks who use our AI system in a league where where I'm also in, I play head-to-head against them in fantasy football. And my goal is to, of course, win, right? So I will say this. So in week of the 2019 season, I beat Baron Davis by about 150 points, which is unheard of, right? I, I toasted him. And um, I give a lot, lot of credit to uh, my system that I used because, you know, I had a lot of players on the fringe. Do I start? Do, do I not start, right? And uh, one player in, in particular, I'm not, I'm not going to mention the name, but I'm glad I started him because he had, you, you can probably figure out who the player was by just cross referencing. but I'll tell you the point total. He had 53 points, which is unreal for this, for this player, right? I mean, they just blew it out of the water. And so that, that, that's why I beat Baron Davis. But to follow along that story, you could follow the Fantasy Football Celebrity League, which is public on the
1: ESPN site too. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And that, that is really fun. I saw one of the, I don't know if this is from the same shoot, but I saw a short form video on Twitter. I think of you getting tackled by a, a football player.
2: Yeah, it does happen. You know, You know, one, one time I was doing a chest bump with, with Justin Tuck, and that probably wasn't a good idea. <laughs> he chest bumped me out of the building. <laughs> right.
1: But yeah, it, it's, it's been, it's been
2: uh, you know, an amazing
1: experience. Let me ask you this, because I love to ask everyone this question about your tech origin story. Was it the, the TRS-80? Was it the graphing calculator? Was it, you know, Space yeah, Camp? What, yeah. what, what set you on the, uh, the trajectory that you're on in life now?
2: Yeah. So there are three things that that, uh, set me up, you know, to work in the tech space. So the first one was I really like science. And the reason why is because I worked on a science fair project, I believe it was in the third grade, um, about photosynthesis, right? What happens whenever you put a plant uh, in the dark? Will it still grow? You know, what happens when you put it in partial light? What happens when you put it in the light? Right. So it was this very experimental approach. You know, I would assert a hypothesis, what I thought would happen. So I didn't think that it could grow, you know, a, a bean plant could grow without light, but it turned out it did. It just, you know, the chlorophyll, you know, was, was either present or not. So the, 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 the colors of the plant was either green, white, or some combination thereof. And, um, I was so proud of that project. I put a lot, lot of time into it and I won the science fair. Right. And that was just unreal, right? So so I, so I that really got me into science, per se. On the electronics, computer science area, two things happened. One, when, when I had a 486 uh, machine, you know, that had those five-inch, you know, floppy disk drives, I mean, it was just archaic, so, you know, I used MS-DOS, you know, um, but I just wondered, how does this work? You know, and I would just go on the command line, type in things, and I probably blew the machine up 10 times, you know, messed it up, had to reformat it, you know, so I just keep breaking it over and over and over, right? And then the, the second tipping point for me was the Nintendo 8 bit machine. I mean, love Mario Brothers, um, but I really like Zelda. And, you know, that just really, you know, showed me the power of what you can do with these machines. And, and, and it sort of, I, I would have, I didn't know, know it at the time, but they were like social parties, right? Where I would have friends over and we would figure out, expression in Zelda, how do we get, how do we find like the secret hearts or how do we find the secret levels? You know, and these social parties would just bring us together to play. We would strategize and, and it would, you know, you know, I found that my way of thinking changed a bit, you know, became more of a strategic type thinker. Um, So, so, so to me, combining the science aspect um, with the computer science aspect helped propel me into the data science area, you know, um, and I I was doing a lot of this anyways for years and years before data science was actually coined or termed. Uh, and I'll tell you this, it's gotten a lot easier since and a lot more powerful, which is great and exciting because we can embed AI anywhere and use it for all aspects of life, right? And train models, right? So now we're moving towards, like we talked a bit in the podcast earlier, ethics, right? How do we use it? How do we debias it? Because it's important now for humans to uptake it to increase our quality of life in my opinion. But that, that in short is my story of how I got into all of this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing. That's a a great story. And uh, I really like that there's even a, a similarity here to what we're talking about with fantasy football, that something that you're just innately interested in, like this, you know, video game actually becomes this gateway to learning and understanding principles that have, you know, sent you out this path in life
2: over the years you know i've always tried to think differently or um how could we use new techniques and new ways it's like writing a book you know you have letters that everyone uses you have words that everyone uses but if you put it together in a different way then it becomes copyrightable you know and that's that's what we can do a lot with technology if it's not just basic research then it could be applied research or you like i said stitch it together to, to create this new quilt of of ai and so so with that you know, I found that it's it's important to um, have this way of risk taking, uh, in a sense. You know, through the design thinking or IBM Garage process, you know, to take those high hanging fruits and say, "Hey, they're 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 not impossible, right? Let's figure out a way to make it possible." And many times, it's not just it's just not about technical thinking, but it's about creativity, right? We use your, your both portions of the brain, your left and your right lobes of the brain, put it together. And that's where I think, um, a lot of the best solutions to problems come out. And many times it's a serendipity type moment where you find something in the unknown, right? And being able to sit with the unknown helps to, to create that creativity aspect, right? Use it as an opportunity. Don't use it, the unknown as a way of running away, you know, or saying, okay, we have to, you know, make some, some sort of squeeze that, you know, lemon juice. Out of the element itself, right? Um, but to me, inventing was key and instrumental to this project's success. Because as a team, we, like I said, this whole project is a, is invented. That's fascinating. And just to give our users a little
1: context, this isn't your first invention rodeo. I was doing a little research on you, and I've discovered you've actually got quite a few patents and quite a few patent pending. Uh, so maybe throw out a, a metric there.
2: How, m- how many patents do do you have, Aaron? Well, you know, embarrassingly, I have to say that I have about 150 patents that have been granted and maybe a good, I don't know, 200 or so additional pending. Um you know, you know, it's 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 part of my job to me is to invent, right? It's it's we have a patent pending application that protects the entire project that does, you know, one of two things, one it gives us the freedom of thought where there's not going to be another company or a group or individual that would corner us and say, "Hey, this is mine." Or you know you know or hey you can't work on that problem because i patented this area it's like real estate lines you know where where we can do that but also the second aspect is it enables us to build unique solutions and solve these types of problems in non-ordinary ways
0: which which is appealing to our u- user base as well as the public I enjoyed this show really much, and I hope you did too. So thank you for joining us here today on IBM Developer Podcast. You can find Aaron. His Twitter address is at Aaron, and that's at B-A-U-G-H-M-A-N-A-A-R-O-N. So our Twitter addresses are at Grant Steinfeld or at Luke Schantz. We look forward to seeing you soon. Goodbye, and have a great day.